Uh, or actually, I'm sorry, this is our fifth week in the book of Ruth. We'll actually close it out. I hope you have enjoyed it. Hope you have learned from it. I hope you've been challenged by it. Um, I must have made some people mad because they're not here to finish listening to it. So, uh, But, you know, I'm going to preach from it again, and I'm, I'm sure the Lord will do what only he can do. But uh, anyway, so uh, as we think about this time, where we're at as a church, in the time that we've been in this building, I just want to, I want to start this, this way, and I just want to present this a little bit. In the time that we've been in this building, there have been numerous things happen that are just happenstance. They just seem to be circumstantial. They just seem to be um, coincidence. And the reality is, is that as we can look back now, as we've been here for a, a little over a year, almost a year and a half, um, we can look back and we can see that God has done some good, th- good things in us and given us opportunity to reach out to people. Last week, we've got skaters that hang out on the back uh, patio of this place, and uh, our youth group that meets in here on Sunday nights um, has been inviting them in for dinner, and they've just been coming in for dinner, and, and uh, they'd hang out with them, and they'd eat, and they'd go outside again, and they'd skate, and uh, bang off the walls and do what it is that skaters like to do. There's a, this is apparently one of the best skate places in town. And so skaters from all over the city know about it. So last week, I believe this was the first time that it happened based on what I've, what I've been told. Last week, the skaters actually stayed and listened to um, our youth talk about the creation and talk about how God created so there's a great opportunity for us to just engage them. And we don't know what's going to happen out of that. We don't know what will occur in their lives, what they'll hear next, what God will bring into their life. But we got to be a part of that, you know. And, and I think that that's God's providence. And, and so <clears throat> I would ask you as we consider moving and as we consider the transition that, that, that the church is in, I would ask you to consider that this being in Ruth at this time, I had no idea when, when I picked to go through Ruth five months ago that we would be facing the transition that we're facing. None whatsoever. I, I had no idea the, the circumstances that would come into people's lives where they would be, where they would be living, I, I mean, seriously living by faith in, in the situations that are occurring in their life. I had no idea. But I believe it's God's providence and God's guidance so that we can see Him working and we can recognize that while it's easy for us to look back it's easy for us to, to be a year or two years past something and look back and see how it all came together. His invisible hand of providence, his, his, his working, is, is, it's happening in and among us right now. And, and I, I want you to be encouraged by that. And that's what I hope that we come to today as we close out this study in Ruth. Let's pray real quick. We'll, uh, we'll get started and then um, and, and we'll just see where the Lord leads us. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you that through your spirit you open our eyes that we can learn from it. We thank you that, uh, that Father, e- even though there's so many things about you that are beyond us, so many things about you that we can't grasp and can't understand, that you have made yourself known, that you have given us your word and, and that you have taught us through it, we thank you that we can be here today. <clears throat> we thank you that... that that you're working among us and showing us your great love. You're, you're showing us your righteousness and your holiness and you're calling us to live in light of that. You're showing us your, <clears throat> your perfection. You're, you're showing us, Father, the, the wrath that we have escaped. You're, you're showing us and, and, and revealing to us what you have saved us from. We are thankful for that. Pray, God, that as we, as we continue to learn from your word, that, that you would just continue to to grow us up, make us mature, and teach us that we might stand firm, that we might stand fast, that we might endure and persevere through this process that you've been leading us through in our individual lives, in our corporate lives, and in our lives being used by you in the world on this mission that we've been given. That you would, Father, that you would just, that you would give us strength and courage and boldness through it. As your word says, that as we read today and hear from your word, that it would teach us, it would rebuke us, that it would, it would equip us for every good work. Father, we just pray that you would do that today. Pray that you would uh, be with us and, and just, Father, especially for me as I speak, that you would just use my words uh, as, as a vessel for, for you to move and, and, and just to share 
what you have done and what you will be continuing to do. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday was a pretty normal day for me. I woke up yesterday morning. We have a couple of guys that meet for coffee on Saturday mornings at Panera Bread over on South Campbell, and that's been going for a few, man, seems like for quite some time, actually, as I sit here and think about it. But we meet at 6 o'clock or 6.30, so I woke up, I went to that, and I sat and I talked about life with Billy and Matt and had great conversation, and some of it was challenging to me, some of it was convicting to me, some of it was encouraging to me. Um, I hope the same as could be said for them. Um, but when we got done, I went home, and I had some other things that had to be done yesterday. But before I could do them, I, I had to spend some time studying and, and preparing for today. And, and uh, so I sat down to do that. And my oldest son, he's not here, uh, but my oldest son uh, sits down, and he decides he's going to watch a movie while I'm studying. I'm in the living room with my laptop, and, and he wants to watch a movie. And so he's flipping through Netflix, and he's trying to decide what to watch. And he comes on this movie, John Q. He'd never seen it. I don't know if you remember it. It's been out sometime. Denzel Washington plays a father. Um, but he decides he's going to watch that. <clears throat> and so as I'm sitting there studying about Ruth and, and, and trying to figure out how I'm going to tie together the loose ends that have been brought together at the end of this book, um, I'm sitting there and, and, and watching off and on what's going on. I had forgotten completely really what the movie was about. But as, a, as the movie opened, it was a... a, it was a, 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 a a scene where a woman's driving a white BMW, I think it was. She's trying to pass the semi-truck on a winding road. And Cameron, my oldest son, is like, what in the world is this about? I said, well, you're just going to have to wait and see. So she's fighting to get around this truck. She gets around the truck. She gets to the other side of the truck. And just before she gets to the other side of a tr the, the, the semi-truck, another semi-truck comes around the curve, hits her, spins her sideways, she sits in front of the first semi-truck that she was passing, and it smashes into her, T-bones her, and that's it. That's the end of the scene. We don't know anymore. And he's like, I don't get this movie. I don't understand it. And I'm like, well, you're just going to have to wait and see, because by now my memory is kind of percolating, and I'm kind of remembering what's going on. The story then turns to uh, the characters, the main characters, about who the movie's about. Denzel Washington's the father of a young boy. Uh, they're, they're a poor family. They struggle with money. He's married to a woman who's a waitress. He's a factory worker. It's, a, it, it, it's, it's what I would imagine a typical American family and their struggles to be. <clears throat> Until they find out that their youngest, their, their son, their only son, has a major heart problem that has gone unnoticed by all of his doctors until he's stealing second base during the middle of a baseball game and his parents are cheering for him until he falls flat on his face and he goes into a seizure. He's in this seizure, and he's, he's convulsing, and they run out, and they, they take him, and they bring him, bring him to the doctor, they bring him to the hospital, and the hospital tells them after many, many tests, here's the problem. He's got this heart problem. He's going to have to have a heart transplant. You already owe us this much money, and until you pay us this much money, we're not going to do anything more for you. But if your son doesn't get this heart transplant, he's going to die. <clears throat> the father tries everything he can, he does everything he knows to do to try and get assistance, to try and get help, to raise this massive amount of money that he has no way to come up with, he has no, no ability to, to pay for, and being brought to the end of his rope, being brought to a place where he feels like he's just cornered and boxed in and he has no other choice, he goes one day to the hospital where his son is being kept, he walks into the emergency room, and he, point, points his gun, he pulls a gun at people, points the gun at people and holds them hostage and and here they are in the midst of this horrible situation where his son is upstairs dying. He's in the emergency room holding people hostage, breaking laws, getting in trouble. And <clears throat> all he wants is for his son to get a heart. That's what, his, that's what he wants. That's what his hope is. His hostages understand his plight. They understand the problem. In fact, some of them are cheering them on and, and some of them are making a hero out of him. And he's, and he's fighting this fight for his son. And in the midst of it, one of the hostages asks him, what do you want to happen? What's your next step? What's your plan? I don't know, he says. I'm just expecting a miracle from God. And immediately the scene cuts. And it switches back to this winding mountain road with this car that has been T-boned. It's been smashed. We don't know really what's happened with the woman inside of it until they show her. She's been killed. She's dead. 
And as they pan her, her face and they move down her shoulder to her arm, to her wrist, you recognize, obviously, from the scene, she's, she's dead. She's, she's gone. And they move to her wrist and they show this bracelet that shows that she's an organ donor. And something struck me because of this study that we've been in in Ruth as I watched this. <clears throat> I was surprised to see it come from a movie that came out of Hollywood. But it was undeniable that, that this statement that John Q makes, Denzel Washington, he makes, I'm, I'm expecting a miracle from God. Cut scene, boom, here you are. You're seeing this woman who has died, who's an organ donor. And as the movie plays out, I don't know what happened to John Q. I don't know, I don't know if he gets arrested and goes to jail. I don't remember. I didn't finish watching it all. But what was clear was that this movie had demonstrated in the midst of it. I don't even know that they intended to. But in the midst of it, they put this picture of God working providentially and a woman dying so that this young boy can have a heart because later, whose heart was he given? Hers. And so there's this picture of God's sovereignty and his redemption, or I'm, I'm sorry, his sovereignty and his providence at work in the world. I'm shocked that, that Hollywood even considers this. I'm shocked that, that it's even something they would consider playing. But that was, that was the picture, and, and I was struck because that's what we're seeing week after week after week of, of, of studying this in Ruth. That every week we come to this place where, where we're faced with these difficult things that, this, that, the, that the characters in this book of Ruth deal with. We see that, that there's obstacles. We see that there's struggles. We see that there's suffering. We see that there's pain and that there's darkness and sinfulness. We see that all of this is going on, but in the midst of it, in the midst of it, weak, after week, after week, for four weeks now, and now for this fifth week, we see that God is at work. That He's not left them alone, that He's not forgotten them, that He's not put them on a shelf. Every week we've come to this book of Ruth, and we come to this place where, where we see what's happened, and we, we, we are faced with the realities of life. If, for example, if, if you just have your Bibles with Ruth, Ruth open to them, look at Ruth chapter 1. Look at Ruth chapter 1. We're going to start right here. And in Ruth chapter 1, the story opens this way. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. Number one, in the days when the judges ruled. If you look at the book of Judges in the very last verse, in those days, they, in those days there was no king. Israel did what was right in his, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This was a dark time. Everybody was living as they wanted to. They were doing what they wanted to do. In the days of the judges, it was dark. <clears throat> Then it says there was a famine, so people are hungry, they're starving, they're, they're, they're wondering where their food's coming from. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to his wife and his two sons, the, <clears throat> the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. And both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And this book opens up with this horrendous, horrible scene. I mean, think about what we've just read about. We've, we've read about dark times where everybody is living for their own purpose, for their own selfish gain, and doing whatever they feel like doing. No rule. It's, it's chaos. It's, it's chaotic. And there's a famine. People are hungry. They're suffering. They're, they're probably dying. And there's death. This man who, whose name is Elimelech, his name means my God is king. He, he makes a choice that demonstrates maybe he really lives for his own purposes. Maybe he really lives for his own reasons. He gets up and he says, hey, family, come on. We're going to this place called Moab. We're going to leave where God's at. We're going to leave his people. We're going to leave this place that he gave us. And we're going to go and go to a people and a place that have been cursed by him. That, been, that, that have denied him, that, that, that worship another God. We're going to go to this place and, and seek refuge and seek food from this godless people who denied his people. We, we, we see people, he, him dying, a woman suffering the death of her own husband. If you were in our Bible study last Sunday night, it became a huge topic. It became a, 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 a point of discussion because of suffering. 
This woman suffered. It was not some simple, it's easy to read it on the page, but for her to experience it, it was painful. She lost her husband. And then, if, 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 if things couldn't get worse, her sons, Malon and Kilion, their names mean sick and, and wasting away, you know, a little like their father didn't live up to his name. They live up to their name. And they die at a young age. They get married. They, they take wives in this land. And they're living there and they die. And now they've left widows. And they've left their mother with not only a, a, a loss of a husband, but the loss of her only two children. This woman is miserable. She's suffering. And, and I couldn't help but understand and see the, the parallel that was going on. Here this movie opens up. It's tragic. It's horrible. It's horrendous. But it happened with great purpose. And in some, in some weird way, the people from Hollywood understood that there was some great purpose. And as, as, as we go on through the book of Ruth, we can see that, you know, we've, we've seen the irony. We've seen the irony of people's names and how they lived up to or didn't live up to their names. We've seen the irony of, of a place called Bethlehem, the house of bread, having no bread. We've seen how we, we've met the main characters, Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, Ruth being a Moabite woman, a woman who wasn't even from these people being exalted among these people. We've, we've seen Naomi who was, who, who was happy and content in life be moved from her home. And, and while she's away, she loses everything. But when she comes back, she says, I'm bitter. Call me bitter. I'm just empty. I went away full and now I'm empty. We've seen Boaz who came along a little later in the story who, who stands as someone who is going to bring these two women, Naomi and Ruth, into a right standing in the nation again. And he's going to give them purpose and he's going to... And through Him, their lives will be restored. And it all happened for great purpose. And every week as we've come to these things and we've looked at these events and we've seen these stories being told, I've said numerous times, we see these people, we see these stories, and they are the main characters. But there's one star of this show. It's not Ruth and it's not Naomi and it's not Boaz. But it's the God that they all refer to. It's the God who, who they recognize is at work in the world. It's, it's the God who, who they depend on for sustenance. It's the God who, who, who they turn to in need. It's the God who, who they look to for a future. And today as we close this story out, I want you to recognize that the main, the main character, the, the, the star of this show, the, the things that we can learn, they're, they're not simply about Ruth and, and how, how women can pick a husband. And they're not simply about, about Ruth and how, or, or Boaz and how men can stand up to be solid, strong dudes in their community. And it's not just about how we can suffer well. Those are some lessons we've learned. But see, the story's so much bigger than that. It's so much broader than that. There's so much more happening here, and that's what we begin to see happen as we look at the end of this book. Now flip over to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, we're going to pick up kind of where we left off last week. Actually in verse 9, I think we went a little further than that. But then we're going to draw some comparisons between what happens here in the end and what happened in the, in the beginning. Ruth chapter 9, or Ruth chapter 4 verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have brought, or, or, I'm sorry, bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech, and all that belong to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off among his brothers. And from the gate of his native place, you are witnesses this day. Boaz stands up and he says, I'm going to stand and I'm going to, I'm going to take... I'm going to take this stuff on. I'm going to be this guy who's going to take care of these women. And I'm going to ensure that the, that the name of Elimelech, the name of Malon, doesn't, doesn't disappear from the Israelite people. I'm going to stand in this place as a, as a redeemer for them. And when we, we saw last week, he, it, 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 he, and, and actually we've seen over and over, he's a picture of Christ standing as a redeemer for us. Then Boaz said to the elders, I'm sorry, 
In verse 11, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And what I want you to see here is, is uh, we, we talked about last week how God brings us through this process. He brings us through this process, not simply to just leave us hanging, but, but He redeems us. He lets us understand our need for Him. He redeems us. And He brings us to this place where not only does He redeem us, but He restores us. He makes things new in our lives. He, he replaces things that, that we're missing. He, he fills us back up. And this week, I want us to understand that it's not simply about us, but it's about His work because His plan is so much bigger. His plan has been going on since the fall of mankind. His plan has, is going on today and His plan will be brought to fruition in the end. You see, I want you to understand that as these people stood here and they cast this blessing, they understood that God had been work, at work in their history. He, they understood that God had been working in their history, that He was working in their present, and that He was at work in, in, in making what was going to happen happen. They didn't know how it was going to play out. They didn't know what the outcome was going to be. But they understood that God could only do it. Look, at, look with me real quick at verse 11. At verse 11, the, the people have heard, yep, we know you're going to marry her. We know what you're going to do. We know, we know that, uh, that, that this is going to happen, and we are witnesses of it. May the Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah. These references are to a people that most of us, we don't even think about, we don't care about, they don't mean anything to us. I mean, really, what, is, what does Judah mean to you or Perez or Tamar? What, what do those names mean to us? See, there's not a lot. But when you stand in, in, in the place of where these people were at, when, when you think about who these people were, Perez was a big name for them. Tamar was a big name for them. Judah was huge. Leah and Rachel, they were very important. You see, they, they, they stood and they looked and they looked back and they saw that, that through Leah and Rachel, the house of Israel was built up. What does that mean? The house of Israel, that's Jacob. Jacob, you know, he's, he, he goes and he, he wants to marry Rachel and, and, God, and, and Laban says, okay, I'll let you marry her. And he tricks her, or he tricks Jacob. He fools him with uh, Leah. She was the ugly daughter. And he thought, well, I'm going to have a hard time getting rid of her, so I'm going to give her first. So he tricks Jacob. Jacob wakes up in the morning, finds out he's married to the woman that he didn't want. And he's like, wait a minute. You fooled me. I want Rachel. So Laban says, okay, no problem. You can have Rachel, but you've got to work for me seven more years. And so that's what he does. He works hard for seven more years. And in this process, we see that Jacob loves Rachel. He loves her. He, he longs for her. I mean, he's working his tail off for her. And Leah is just someone he's just kind of forgot about. But you know who God works through first? You know who God gives birth or, or conception to first? Leah. He works through Leah. And Leah has the first son. And then Leah has the second son. And Leah has the third son. And Leah has the fourth son. And Rachel's over here loved by Jacob. But seemingly barren. Can't have any kids. And so she decides, yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to give him my handmaid. I'm going to have some kids one way or the other. I'm going to have some kids. So he ends up sleeping with, with uh, servants and, and all of this stuff so that through these two women, his house is filled up. 
And Rachel, she does end up conceiving. She has a son named Joseph and a son named Benjamin. But you know who this line came through? See, we don't know because they don't matter to us. They're not important to us because they, they didn't live last generation. They're not our grandma and our grandpa. But to these people, they're important. You see, these people are through the line of Leah. They belong to her fourth son, Judah. And you know who Judah was? He was a guy who slept with a prostitute. Her name was Tamar, but he didn't know that. He thought she was just some prostitute. Come to find out her name's Tamar. She happens to be his daughter-in-law and she's dressed up and concealed herself, concealed her identity. And she has a son named Perez. You know who Perez was? Their forefather. He was the guy. He was the guy that they looked to. You know, this is, he, he's where we come from. He's the guy. They understood that God, even in the midst of all this chaos and all this struggle and how people were acting and what people were doing and the lies and the deception and, and, and all of the, all, all the hatefulness and, and, and the bitterness, in the midst of it all, God had worked. And He brought conception to these people. He, he brought, he, he made them pregnant and, and they recognized, you know, I mean, that's why we say, that's why we recognize in scripture when it says that children are a blessing. You know, this was something that this was something that they understood that God did. We don't get it today, you know, we, because we postpone our, our pregnancies and we and we hold off and plan our families. Now, these people—that's what they were about doing. I'm going to get married. I'm going to make a family. That's what they did, and they recognized that it only happened by the hand of God, and the, and that Perez came because God made Tamar pregnant. And Leah had children because God made her pregnant. And so they recognized that God was at work in their history. Also, you can see that they recognized that God's at work in their present. They're praying this and they're asking for blessing on Ruth, that she would become pregnant and, and fill Boaz's house with children because she's been married for 10 years already. You know how many kids she has? None. We want you to have a house full of kids. We want you to have a house that's, that's full of children and, 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 and that is blessed by God in that way. We want you to have that. But we recognize that the only way it's going to happen is if God does this work. Ruth, probably by people that knew her, was seen to be barren. They probably thought that she would never have kids unless God acted. You see, they recognized that, that God had to act. They recognized that, that God had to be in their present situation and do something. And then look at verse 14 and 15. It says that in verse 14, it says, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. You see, they recognize that, that if something is going to happen that's good in the future, he shall be a restorer to you of life. They understand the Lord is going to have to do it. It's going to happen because of the work of the Lord. That this child that the Lord's given you, he's going to be a restorer to you of life. He's going to, he's going to make you back into what you were meant to be. He's going to, he's going to bring to you that what you'd lost. Naomi, let's think about Naomi for just a second. I've been kind of hard on her. I've, 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 I don't know that I'd beat her up, but I've, I've been tough on her because of the way she's acted in her, in her, in her suffering and her sorrow and, and her bitterness. You know, she became very introverted. She, she was upset and, and bitter, and she, she, all she thought about was herself. We all do it. It's something we all have a tendency to do. When we're the ones suffering, we really want people to know it. But she comes back from Moab. She shows up in her land. In, in, her, in, her, in her people, among her people, as she's standing there, people are recognizing her, and she says, I don't want you to call me Naomi anymore. I went away full, and I came back empty. I want you to call me Mara, which means bitter. See, in, in her perspective, she had lost it all. She had lost everything. She, she had no future. She had no hope. She had no 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 ability to, to move forward, that this was it. This is all she had. I'm empty. I'm, I've got nothing. 
And then God works out this plan. And Ruth meets this guy named Boaz. And Boaz redeems Ruth and Naomi. And Boaz and Ruth get married. They get together. And they have a kid. And these women, the, the people around them, they, they look and they say, because of what God has done, He will be a restorer to you. You came back empty. Through Him, God is making you full. You wanted to be called bitter. You wanted to be called Mara. But now, once again, you are Naomi. My delight, delightful, pleasant. He has, he has brought you from this place where you thought there was no hope to a place where you have hope, where you have a future, where you see yourself as having received blessing from God. You see, they recognize that in the midst of all of this happening, they recognize that God is at work in their history. They recognize that God is at work in their very present time and they depend on it and they need it. And they also recognize that God will have to be at work in their future if any good thing is to come of it. Imagine this perspective. The book starts with, with bitterness, with emptiness, with death and dying. And as it closes, it closes with birth and life and hope, restoration and joy. Not because Ruth knew what to do. Not because Naomi had some cunning plan. Not because Boaz was just some super dude but because the star of the show. Sometimes he had only been mentioned and referenced in passing. But the star of the show, the one that's called Yahweh, the one that's referred to as Almighty, the star of the show is working through his invisible hand of providence, bringing about what he is meaning to bring about. You see, it's an amazing story of coincidences and happenstance that God has caused to happen so that His name will be renowned in Israel, so that He will be exalted, so that He will be lifted up, so that He will be remembered. And so that as people look back, I mean, as this author looked back, it's probably Samuel, we don't know that for sure, but, but as this author looked back on these circumstances and on these events, and he saw that the, 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 story, the, the story of Ruth, it begins with an ending and ends with the beginning. He recognized that there's only one way that could be because God made it so. He looked and he saw that the story ended with a corpse or began with a corpse and ended with a baby. He saw and he looked and he saw that that the story began with death and ends with life. He understands. And you know what that's a picture of? You know what that begins to demonstrate for us? The very gospel message that we believe in and trust in so heavily and so deeply. We're born into death. And by His grace, through His providence, His invisible hand working, we're given life. We start out our lives as corpses. But because of what He's done, we have the hope of being made alive. You see, I hope that what we recognize through this whole story, through everything that's happening, especially as we move into our celebration of Advent and the expecting of our, our coming Savior, I hope that we recognize that God has been at work in our history. I started off talking about the story of this church a little bit and some of the transitions that we're facing. It's the reality of where we've been. Since we started, this church has been in transition. I mean, it's just the reality of it. I think that probably is the story of every church plant. I'm going to tell you, first and foremost, I have been in transition. God has changed me. He's grown me up. I thought I was ready to plant a church when we began this work. I found out pretty quickly I wasn't. I, I, I thought I knew what I was doing. I found out pretty quickly I didn't. But God has worked. You know what? There's people sitting in the room this, this, this very day 
There's people missing from this room that God has providentially brought along. And and He's brought into this family because they have some purpose that that He has a desire to use. that that that, That He has planned to use. Billy stood up here and talked to you guys about um, the Christmas family. Billy and my life, Billy's life and my life have had little points of interaction at very critical times. There was things happening, we recognize now there's things happening before we even knew one another that were bringing us together. There's experiences that we have shared not necessarily in the same circumstance, but in similarity that we share and we have grown one another and challenged one another in. Brent stood up here and played music. The very first Sunday we were here, we knew we were going to be looking for a worship guy. We knew that the guy that was leading at that time was going to be leaving. He had already made some commitments and he was going to go and fulfill those commitments and we understood that. But we knew we were going to be in need. That very first Sunday we were here, while we were still trying to paint and still trying to do the work that we thought we, we, we felt like we needed to get done to, to make this building usable for us, Brent and Heather walked through the door. We couldn't have planned that. We weren't even telling people we had moved yet. I changed the website the night before. Think of the providential story that brought you to this place. Think about the the coincidence that occurred that that, that you found out about us, that you heard about us, that that you understood that there's something going on here. You see, those aren't the only two stories of providence. They're they're not the only two two stories that bring people into this place. There's many. If I keep picking people that that are here, you'll wonder if if I don't pick you, you'll wonder why I didn't pick you. And I don't want to give anybody else a big hit, so I'm going to pick some people that aren't here. Nicole. She's not here today. She showed up on a Sunday. Brent was talking about having a meeting to, to, uh, to get the band together. She shows up on a Sunday, and we needed a sound person. Our sound person, you know, it wasn't something that they knew how to do well. It was just that we were just getting by. We needed a sound person. You know what she had done in Austin where she had lived? She was a sound person. She had been trained in it. She, she understood it. She knew what was going on. Hey, God, God brought her along. Adam and Cassie. Cassie, his wife, is a graphic artist. It's not that we haven't had some ability and, and people who, who know how to do some graphic work before. But she knows what she's doing. God's providing. We, we, we want to put a face out there for people to grab hold of and to look at and, and see. He's going to help us do that through bringing Adam and Cassie along. Adam writes music. Some of the songs we'll sing will be some of his music. We're seeing all kinds of things happen. We're reaching out into places where our church has never been able to reach out to before. Craig and Laura. They have grown by leaps and bounds since I first met them. They're not here today. But they have been used by God to be very influential in her family, who's also not here today. But that whole family is growing because God's gospel is interacting with it. And they're being challenged in their, in their superficial views, in their legalistic ways. And they're being forced to recognize that there's more th- than what we often think about what is going on and what God is doing. There's all kinds of things that that God has been at work in our history and He is at work in our very present day. You know, some things we do need to stop, we we will not understand. Some things we will never grasp hold of. We won't be able to figure them out until after we've gotten past them. We're going to have to wait till we're past them and look back and see how God worked. But He's been at work in your history. He has been at work in your history. But there are many things if we'll just stop and think and consider the coincidences of life. I'm not asking you to read tea leaves or, or, or you know, don't pick up the horoscope. You're not going to find any hope there. But I'm telling you, if you look, 
There's so, so many things that are happening around you and around us. God's providence, He is working, and He is the star of the show. And you know what? He's going to work in our future. Let's just close this book out. Now, I, I just want to demonstrate to you how powerfully He might work in our future, how powerfully He will work in our future. Verse 18, I'm sorry. My eyes are getting bad enough I can't see. Verse 18 says this. Now these are the generations of Perez. And this is usually where we fall asleep. You know, We come to these places in the Bible where it talks about where, where, where uh, genealogy is laid out. And then, oh, oh man, I'm just starting to stay awake. Thankfully, this one's a short one. But here's the deal. This shows us something so amazing and so powerful. Now these are the generations of Perez. Remember who Perez was. He's important to these people. They love Perez because he's essentially their forefather. He's, he's like George Washington to us. He's the guy that started Bethlehem, in a sense. Maybe that's not totally true, but it's close. At least you get an understanding. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. And Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And this story ends, this story of these people, their lives, it ends demonstrating that there is a great future ahead of this line of people. You see, this line, this particular line, it was meant for so much. This book of Ruth that we've studied for four weeks, now five weeks, this book of Ruth, it wasn't written simply just because it's this beautiful, happy ending story that makes everybody feel good. It started out bad and it became good. Oh, I like that. That makes me feel so good. A happy ending. I love it. That's not why it made its way into Scripture. It made its way into Scripture because in it, God shows that He is at work in this world to bring about what He has always planned to bring about. David happens to be the king of his choosing. David happens to be a guy that's given us promise that someone is going to sit on your throne forever. David is, is given this promise that through him, the whole world would be blessed. And you know where we see the fulfillment of that? Matthew chapter 1. Verse 1, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, the father of Hezron, and the, Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, by Rahab. You get that? You remember who Rahab is? She was a prostitute who hid some guards, or who hid some spies, and she's remembered in the pages of Scripture in the line of Christ. Huh. And Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, another woman who didn't belong to these people. Another woman who, who's outside of this, of this chosen nation, but who had been chosen by God to be used in this line of people. And Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David, the king. And you skip down to verse 16. And Jacob, this is just another person in the line of descent, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. See, this story didn't, didn't make its way into Scripture just because it was this cool story about these people who had lost and who were given back. The story made its way into Scripture because God is showing himself to be bringing about the promises that he made from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve fell, he, he made a promise that he was, going to do a, he was going to do a work of redemption. He began that work. And then along the way, even when it seems that all is lost, when times are dark, when it seems like God has forgotten that He's going to do this work, in the midst of it all, 
in the midst of these dark days when everyone was living as they pleased and doing as they pleased and living for themselves, God is doing His work through a young woman named Ruth, an old man named Boaz, and a mother-in-law named Naomi. You see, He was working. And He wasn't stopping His work. And for us, as we sit here, we've got this lens of history and we're able to look into Matthew and we see how that line was protected and how God continued to work to bring it about. And you know what that should do for us? That should remind us that He's not stopping His work even when it looks like He might be stopping His work. He is going to bring about those things that He promised He's going to bring about. And you know the great news is, is that He didn't just say that I'm going to provide redemption he didn't just say that I'm going to redeem you. His promise is that He will restore us. His promise is that, that, that what was gone wrong, what was bad, what was, what was dark and what was evil will be brought into the light. And that one day this, this earth will be made new and our bodies will be given these new bodies with, with, with no, no sin nature and no, no struggle in them. And, and, and there will be a time where there's no tears and no hurt and no pain. And the suffering that we've known, it's, it, 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 it'll be gone. Because He started this work. And He continued this work. And He will complete this work. You see, as we come into this time of year, I, 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 I love just one more coincidence. One more little, little coincidence. One little happenstance that happens is that as we close out this story of Ruth... We're no longer focusing on what God did, but we're what we're waiting for God to do. You see, just like they had no idea exactly how it was going to play out. They had no idea that David was going to come from this line. They had no idea that he was going to be the king. They had no idea that, that through David the Messiah would come by a virgin named Mary. They had no idea. But, but, but they trusted that God would do his work. And what I hope today as we finish this book out is that you are reminded and given great hope. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Tomorrow, I, I, anything could happen. We could wake up tomorrow and there could be some terrible storm that's tearing up the Gulf again, some terrorist attack in some major city. We could wake up tomorrow and have some, some God-awful thing happen to the company that we work for. The, the place that we thought we were so secure in our jobs, we could go there and find out that they're closing their doors. But you know what? Our hope is not tied up in that. Our, our security, our safety, our, 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 our uh, identity, it's not tied up in those things. It rests in this one truth. God is sovereign. And along with that, He is working in all of His power to bring about those things that He's promised He would bring about. And while we may deal with great problem and great struggle along the way, it doesn't mean that He's quit working or forgotten us or, or left us, but that He is going to finish the work that He's going to do. I hope that through this book and through this study that you have great assurance that when you, when you stand here and, and think of the struggles that you face and, and, and think about how, how, how seemingly everything might be falling apart around you, that in His providential hand, He is bringing things to be where they need to be. And He is working out things that they might bless His people and that He is doing what only He can do. See, and, and in the day that all of that that we look forward to in, in the coming of our Savior, they looked forward to the coming of a Messiah. We look back on His first coming and look forward to the second advent. That's the hope. That's the hope we have. That's the time when all of these things that are broken will be fixed. Along the way, they'll be repaired. Along the way, they'll be redeemed. Along the way, uh, they'll be put back together. And we'll be blessed. But in His coming again, there's our hope. There's the promise. And as we see Him working throughout our history and in our present, we can count on the fact that He will work in our future. Let's pray. Father,
I thank you that we have that assurance. I thank you that I thank you that uh, that you work, that we can trust you, that you are a good and benevolent God, that you care, that you are concerned for your people. I thank you that you chose to work. I thank you that that you chose us to redeem. I thank you that that you that you have given us hope. I pray, Father, that as we consider it today, that we are moved to be in awe of you. To follow you in faith. To depend on you with a, a, a radical trust that maybe the world around us doesn't understand. But because we know who you are and what you do, we have no other, no other response to give but, but, but to trust, to adore and to worship, to love you with, with every part of our life. Father, we thank you that you not left us alone, that, that, that you have, have sent your Son first and then after Him your Spirit to lead us in the truth, to teach us about Him, to open our eyes, to show us truth. Spirit, I pray that you'll speak to us now. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We come every week to a time of response where, where uh, you know, I, I, the, the, the scripture's been preached and we've been confronted with things in our life and, and, and maybe I didn't hammer you with, uh, with, with some hellfire and brimstone and call you a sinner today but that's the reality of who we are. We're sinners. We're fallen. Most of us think that if we just do things right or if, if we just perform the right way or if, if we can just do this to please God, He'll love us. That's not the case. He's loved you in His Son Jesus Christ. And the response, I, I, I don't know how you need to respond to that. I don't know if there's sin that He's revealed to you today that you need to turn from. I don't know if there's, if there's some, some thing that you need to deal with Him on that you just need to, need to pray, if, if, whatever it is. That's what we do now. And, and I, Brent's going to play, and, and if you just are moved by Him and just in awe of Him, let Him know it. Love Him back. He has loved you. I love Him back.